0: gentlemen, welcome to a very special episode of the Platinum Saburo Podcast. My name is Adam Herbert, but you may not know that because you know me as Doc. I learned a very important lesson a couple of weeks ago. The Braves are on a heater. I want to say that the winning streak was at mm, six games. Let's keep in mind the fact that the Braves had not been able to string together more than two consecutive wins at the point of the season that I made this preposterous claim, but I did say... If the Braves are able to take this winning streak to ten games, I will bring back the Platinum Saberho podcast for the rest of the season. That was silly. It's not that I don't love talking baseball because I absolutely do, and I'll be honest, I've really missed the show. I've really missed uh, having a uh, having an outlet for my thoughts. You know, when we when we left the show, we didn't even have a first baseman, and neither did the Dodgers. So it's. Uh, it's been a very interesting way to, to relearn how to not talk about things, and generally speaking, uh, I always had my, my sounding board uh, and one of my BFFs, the inimitable Dylan Short, uh, who has gone to Greener Pastures doing the 643 podcast for 680 The Fan. Uh, So as things stand right now, this is going to be a very interesting uh, resurrection of the Platinum Cerbero podcast. This is kind of like Genesis after Peter Gabriel left, I think. But they did have some really big hits with Phil Collins uh, singing for them. So we'll see what this turns into. I can't guarantee it'll be every week, but I did want to just come back for a little bit. The Braves are playing some really good baseball right now, and uh, I think we should talk about it. Or I'm the only one here, so I think I should talk about it. So that is what I am going to do. If you want to. Get in a massive technicality. We are still brought to you by the Sports Drink Network. Uh, big shout out to Andrew Stevens. I know that he's done a lot to grow the network. Unfortunately for Andrew, I do not read the emails that he sends out, so I have no freaking clue who the sponsors are. So this week, uh, we are brought to you by Born Again Human Taxidermy, and we are also brought to you by Meat Bids stake your claim and then claim your stakes. So let's take a little bit of a look at what the Braves have done recently. Like I said, when we first started, the Braves were on a heater, which was really surprising. Okay. So they have, they were doing that same thing they did in 2021, where it was win one, lose two, win two, lose one. They were hovering around 500. They were just textbook mediocre, couldn't get off the ground, but there were certain things about the team very similar to 2021 that were kind of inspiring to me. Like, Not losing more than two consecutive games at a time is way more impressive than not winning more than two consecutive games at a time. It tells you that no matter how things are going, you still got it in the tank to avoid losses. Now, I know that seems like a very simple thing, and what you're really trying to do is not avoid losses, but it's actually to attain wins. But in the same way that in 2021... They weren't rattling off long losing streaks and then long winning streaks. It wasn't they'd win eight and then lose six and then win four and then lose five. They weren't losing games 11 to 2 or 18 to 4 with any regularity. This is a team that was in. Every single game they played. So when you're Alex Anthopolis, and you can go back to old episodes, Dylan and I were really frustrated with how things went, but still, they were close enough. You didn't even have to squint that much to see how close that 2021 team was. You get some additions, and then you could see, obviously, they they took it to the top of the mountain. But... So a lot of that had to do with Jock and Soler and, and bringing back Duval and Rosario, etc. But I still think that at the same time, it wouldn't have mattered nearly as much who they brought in because the team just needed some reinforcements. They needed some new blood. It's a similar thing with 2022, right? You got your new blood in the form of Michael Harris. And, you know, there's been a lot made of the... Uh, of the team meeting that Snit had, but by all accounts, it wasn't Snit flipping tables and pointing at guys and screaming at them because they're not doing their job. It was just the same even-keeled team meeting like, look guys, you gotta do better. And I don't know Brian Snicker personally, but after watching him manage for several years, see him suffer excruciating losses, and still be able to stay composed. I mean, that guy is so composed all of the time, right? So for him to actually step up and have to say something, I think that that was what they needed. They didn't need somebody going on a tirade, somebody calling guys out in the media, anything like that. It was just a quick reminder like, hey... Possibly you forgot your World Series champions and you need to play like it. And then they rattled off 14 consecutive victories, right? So it's a similar thing. They hadn't lost uh, more than two consecutive games in a row. They weren't getting their brains beat in. It was just inconsistent baseball. The bullpen was working. The offense wasn't. The offense was working. The starting rotation wasn't. Nobody could fill the fifth starter role. Uh, Ozzie didn't hit a home run for six weeks. Uh, Acuna was slow to come back. So on and so forth. You can blame it on a million things. You can blame it on injuries too. You know, I think that uh, we all might have expected Eddie Rosario to have regressed a little bit, but having a freaking hole in his eye, you can't really project that. Maybe you project that Tyler Matzik would have had some overuse, but you can't necessarily uh, predict that he's going to have a lower back soreness that's going to cause him to alter his delivery and then therefore kind of throw his shoulder out of whack. You can't really account for those types of things. On top of that, World Series hangover, and then with the lockout as well, I think it was natural to assume that this team was going to scuffle a little bit. And so they turn the corner right after Michael Harris came up. Now, this kid is a dynamo in every sense of the word. And you can look at guys like Spencer Strider. You can look at guys like Kyle Wright, who not enough can be said about what Kyle Wright has done this year. And The impact that they have had and their importance, but to me, the single most important Brave this entire season has been Michael Harris. And it's not so much the fact that he's got a, a 900 OPS and he's unleashing cannon throws from center field, making plays at the plate way closer than they could ever possibly be. It's the looseness, it's the new blood, it's just the fact that now there's always going to be somebody on base for the top of the lineup. We talked about how Acuna has been, you know, last night he had the, the home run and he had a couple hits too, but before that he was over like his last 19 or whatever it was just kind of generally scuffling but having the two leadoff man thing having Harris at nine and Acuna at one you can make the case that you could move Harris elsewhere in the lineup me personally I love having him right in front of Acuna he's getting a lot of really good pitches to hit and he's taking advantage of them too so even if Acuna has a rough stretch you got Dansby right behind that and they've been uh, kind of tinkering with what was going on in three hole tonight anyway with Austin Riley getting a night off they got Ozuna in there and then four. Five six, whether it's Olsen, Darno, Contreras, whoever happens to be filling the role on any particular night, you're starting to see guys that are getting hot, and it's just a team that has started to roll, and it all comes back to Harris, right? So there's no guarantee that he's going to keep this up. I kind of look at Austin Riley and what he did in his first 20 or so games when he, he had nine home runs in his first 20 games that first year. You know, he was incredible when he first came up, and the league figured him out, and it took... Uh, another 100 games or so for him to figure that out. Now, granted, it seemed like longer than that because it was the 2020 season. Uh, So you had the 60 games there, and then he kind of struggled in the playoffs, and then it was, you know, halfway through... um, April in 2021, that he finally hit that first home run, kind of took off, and then in June, it was just off of the races for him. So it's going to be a similar thing, I think, for Harris, although he may not have as deep of a valley as Riley had because he's a much better pure hitter. Similar thing for William Contreras. He's been up long enough now to where... If they are ever going to figure him out, the time is now. And then it's up to him to kind of figure out where to take it from there. But what has happened is that while Harris has been scorching hot, the rest of the team is heating up too. So the pressure has not been on him to be up, be a wide-eyed rookie, and be the only guy that's performing as well. The rest of the team has started to play really, really well. I'm so impressed by Harris's demeanor. He is so calm. He's so joyous you know, he reminds me of Acuna a lot, you know, he reminds me of Jason Hayward a lot too, there's so much in his game that is very similar to Hayward, I'm going to steal something from Dylan, it's almost like the universe is giving us another shot at Jason Hayward, uh, which is, which is just amazing to me, and part of the reason why I'm bringing this up, this is a mea culpa, because I was convinced, absolutely convinced Michael Harris was not ready, i See the talent? Absolutely. Was he the number one prospect in the system? You betcha. But at the same time, he had less than half the time that Acuna, who is one of the top five talents in the game, had. You know? And say what you will about Michael Harris, I I don't quite think he's Ronald Acuna. He reminds me of him. His game does remind me of him some. But... um, if Acuña still needed 150 160 games whatever the number was above AA before they promoted him, you know, then I was definitely not thinking that Harris was going to get, you know, 40 games, 50 games and then get called, you know, skipping Gwinnett and coming up. I was like, "No, you remember what happened to Dansby in 2016? He came up. There was no reason for Dansby to come up. They brought him up. He got exploited big time because he skipped AAA and then it took a really long time for him to recover from that." So, I was wrong one million percent. Michael Harris is the truth, and I hope this guy stays up here forever because he has done nothing but amazing things for this Braves team. A very common refrain on Twitter recently, and I know some of the people that listen to the show are not on Twitter, which, if you're not, good for you. That place is terrible. See a lot of Mets fans getting really, really emotional about the fact that the Braves were suddenly playing good baseball. Braves went 21-8 and over a 29-game stretch against teams that were all under 500. Well, okay, let's be honest. They did play the Rockies. They did play the Nationals and the A's and the Pirates. These are not great teams, but you have to play them anyway, so you might as well go ahead and beat them. For anybody who is looking for a really good retort, uh, if you have any Mets fans that are really kind of trying to brutalize you with that, In May and April, they played the Mariners, the Rockies, the Diamondbacks, the Nationals, and the pre-Joe Girardi firing Philadelphia Phillies, and they went 23-10. That's a worse winning percentage than what the Braves had. So what I'm really hearing is that Mets fans are insecure and they know that we are making up a lot of ground. That's not the terrifying part. The terrifying part is that there's 90 games left and 15 of them are head-to-head matchups between the Braves and the Mets. People can talk all they want. You don't want to... Compare, you don't look at the standings. And, you know, it's June. It's June the 22nd right now. We're not even to the All Star break. You got a long way to go. And you can make up five games in a week. Okay. But those 15 games, those are going to be what determines the rest of the season for both clubs. And if I'm the Philadelphia Phillies, I'm looking to get real aggressive because these two teams are going to be in a war, you know? Let's say that these teams, you know, they the Braves win 8 and the Mets win 7 or so on or whatever. Just kind of keep it even with each other. These teams are going to be bloody. It's going to look like the end of Rocky 4 by the end of this. So, if I'm Philadelphia, I know I don't have a ton in the farm system, but I am going completely all in because things are not going to get much better in this regard. The division for them is going to be so far out of reach between now and the end of time. You might as well push all your chips in. But at the same time, I am not convinced that anybody is actually going to be able to beat the Braves this year. And I'll tell you why. First things first, the Mets are good. They are not a fluke. Things are different. I think that there's been a lot of overblown narratives about the influence of Buck Showalter. That man has one more playoff series win than I do. And if you're listening, he has one more playoff victory uh, than you do as well. He is a good manager. He does not have a really long track record of winning playoff series. Now, Jacob deGrom, still on the shelf. Max Scherzer, still on the shelf, but it's looking like he's going to start. He's already made a rehab start. It's looking like he's going to be coming back soon. Tyler McGill is on the IL. They're shutting him down for a month. There's no guarantee he's coming back because he's dealing with a bump shoulder. And those are scary and McGill's really, really good, and the fact that the Mets were able to sustain what they did without DeGrom, period, without Scherzer for half this season, and now it's looking like McGill is going to be on the shelf for a little while, I am not convinced, let's say they get all three of those guys back, I am not convinced that somebody like Jake DeGrom, who's been out all year, and who has honestly kind of, even for his talented as talented as he is has been a walking injury for the past couple years and scherzer who was dealing with injuries when steve cohen gave him 120 million dollars for three years really the possibility of going down as the worst contract in sports history i'm not saying that these guys aren't amazing because they certainly are but it's really hard to rehab when you've got consistent injuries And when, you know, Scherzer's 37. 37 is not old unless you're a baseball player. 37's a dinosaur, okay? So somebody who had dead arm last year and now he's dealing with, I mean, he straight up called somebody out. The the last pitch he threw professionally, he just looked in the dugout and was like, I am finished. That is somebody who knows his body really, really well. Max Scherzer didn't pitch in the NLCS Game 6 in an elimination game last year. Max Scherzer is no pansy, okay? He wasn't just like, oh, I don't feel like it today. That dude knew he couldn't go. That is a real injury. So dead arm, you can come back from it, obviously, but when they start piling up, you know, I can hear my knees when I walk upstairs and I'm I'm not that much older than Max Scherzer, okay? So all I'm saying is, DeGrom comes back, maybe he's healthy, maybe he's not. Scherzer comes back, maybe he's healthy, maybe he's not. They got Jeff McNeil, who's dealing with a hamstring injury again. I'm not saying that they're going to mess things up, but what I am saying is it's really, really, really hard to stay healthy for an entire season. I mean, you're seeing it with the Braves right now. We were talking about it in, in the last segment about you can't predict Eddie Rosario having a hole in his eye or Tyler Matzik just completely throwing his own body out of whack. So... Now that the Braves are heating up, now that the Mets are starting to hear the footsteps, and look, they just lost two straight to the Astros as well. You can't act like they are just world-beating all these amazing teams, too. They have hung against the Padres. They have done okay against the Dodgers. But look, the Mets are fallible, too. And I made a point before the winning streak that I don't think that the Mets are a 109-win team, which is what they were tracking out as at the time. Any more than I think the Braves were a 79-win team, okay? The Mets might win the division. They're not going to do it by 30 games. They were playing over their head. We were playing underwater. So now things are kind of starting to normalize. But those head-to-head matchups are going to be what really, really determines this. Now, in the meantime, now that the Braves have emerged out of the sewer portion of their schedule, they're going to start to see some good teams. They split the first two games of the series with the Giants, who they are neck and neck with in the wild card race right now. They've got the Dodgers this weekend, and then they've got the Phillies, who are actually playing slightly resurgent baseball, but the problem was always going to be their defense, and that's just proving it itself more than ever. This San Francisco series has reeked of a playoff series from minute number one to me. Game one, you get the elite pitching performance from both Freed and Webb, and then the late-inning heroics. The whole eighth-inning sequence where Smith came in with the bases loaded, and then he was able to limit the damage to one run was absolutely Brilliant. I know that Will Smith is really frustrating, but I was so impressed at his ability to limit the damage during that. And then the walk-off, that giant swing of emotions that felt just like the NLCS last year. And then... You look at game two, which is the complete opposite of that. 12 to 10 finale. But the what the Braves did, it was the momentum swings that I just loved so much. Where San Francisco went up four to nothing, and the Braves immediately got two back in the second, and then in the third, they got three and they went up. Then they went back down six to five because I don't know who Austin wins is, but apparently he felt like being a pest last night. And then they go out and they get it back. And then even Even when Stevens allowed three runs in the top of the ninth inning, you know, it's a shame because he's actually been really solid this year. They still made a run for it in the ninth. They scored the two runs. Olsen had his first multi-home run game of the year. That is a team that just refuses to quit, and that's completely different than the team you saw in April and May. That's so inspiring. So I'm recording this about 45 minutes before first pitch in game three. We'll see whether or not this playoff series narrative uh, continues for the uh, for the rest of these uh, two games, but I'm feeling inspired. I'm feeling like we can hang with the good teams. You know, the the narrative will never go away. It's it's one fan base's job to trash talk the other. You know, so if the Mets want to come and talk to you about how the fact the Braves can't beat anybody, you have the exact same argument to say back to them. But for me, this entire week, this portion of the schedule where the Braves face good teams, it all comes down to the one that we have earmarked on the calendar ever since they released the schedule, and particularly since Freddie Freeman signed with the Dodgers. Freddie's coming home this weekend. I got a lot of emotions about Freddie coming back. Like I I said, when we stepped away, it was in February, lockout was still going on, had no resolution on the situation, and I was convinced. I knew he was coming back. I knew for an absolute fact, I refused to believe anything to the contrary. We all know how that worked out. I still think Alex played it beautifully. If he had to make that trade after Freddie signed with the Dodgers, then it would seem like he was getting gouged. But based on the timing, he was proactive. Not to mention, Estes, Cusick, and Pache have sucked this year. So I don't really miss them a ton. There's going to be a ton of emotions. I've been saying since day one, Freddie's going to step in the box. You are going to be able to hear that ovation 50 miles away. He's going to get misty in the box. He's, you know, he's he is going to get a massive ovation, and he deserves it. Got some hot water for saying if anybody boos him, then you're a supreme dummy, and you deserve to have someone throw batteries at you. The only reason I said that was because they don't sell full beer cans at Truist. If they did, I would say they should throw those those at you. Look, Jock Peterson got a standing ovation, and he was here for two months. He was here for one seventieth of the amount of time Freddie was here. At one point. Freddie Freeman and Julio Tehran were the only thing that this organization had. We didn't even have the prospects yet. You know, in early 2015, we were excited when Cam Mabin would hit a double, you know? So now, you got Freddie coming back. Yeah, he's going to wear different laundry. But that man loved this city. You watch every interview he ever gave. He meant every single word of it. And truthfully, what I'd love to see happen is for him to get super misty, the fans get misty, the only person I don't want to see crying Is Ian Anderson, who I think is going to start that game on Friday? Because I think if Freddie's crying hard enough, he's going to strike out. Still a dangerous hitter. The power is down. He's not hitting like he did in previous years. Uh, The average is fine, but the, the power is a little bit down. The slugging's down. So... Um, this is going to be a great barometer. You know, we faced the Dodgers in April. It was out in L.A., the first game of the series, which, of course, Freddie homered on the first at bat. We all knew it was going to happen. Um, but this was back when uh, Anoa started that game, I think, and he's been in Gwinnett for several months now. He just kind of didn't have it. You know how how much the Braves struggled with the fifth uh, rotation spot there. They were running through... Uh, Elder and Anoa and Davidson, and they finally found that guy in Strider. So when I look back at that LA series, LA took two out of three, but it's uh, it's a little incongruent. You know, the, the World Series hangover, et cetera, everything we talked about for why it took the Braves so long to get going. So now the teams are a little bit more evenly matched. So I think that this is going to be a really good barometer for where the Braves are and also for the Dodgers too. You know, they're not going to have Mookie Betts uh, for this particular series. He's dealing with a bit of an injury. And one thing that I've really thought a lot about is the Dodgers as a measuring stick. For the past couple years, they have been the class of the NL. Even even last year when the Braves won the World Series, like it or not, the Dodgers are a fantastically run organization. They do so well in so many different areas. It's almost unfair. So, now as we approach the trade deadline, we've got 5 weeks or so before it happens. You know, the Braves are going to get back Rosario, and Tyler Matzik, and Kirby Yates, and possibly Mike Soroka. I don't think we should really get too far ahead of ourselves for what is actually going to bring. But what I'd like to see is for Alex Anthopoulos, as we go into the trade, de- trade deadline, to act like those four guys do not exist. Because what the Braves need to do is put together what I have labeled here as Dodger-level depth, okay? You look at the Dodgers team from past years, one guy goes down, and it's not like some scrub prospect, quad A guy coming in to just be a warm body. It seemed like the Dodgers would always have some hot young prospect who's like a top 50 guy in the game who could step up and perform immediately. I don't know how they did it. But as I'm stopping to think about this, what really becomes interesting is that even this year, the Dodgers don't quite have Dodger level depth. And my friend Mark Gent, who runs Simply a fan, he, he is a Dodgers fan. And he expressed the exact same thing to me completely unsolicited. He was talking about how uh, Andrew Friedman has not done nearly as good of a job uh, accumulating the depth as he has in previous years. So, look, in a green world scenario, Soroka, Rosario, Magic, and Yates come back and they are all gangbusters. Everything is fine. Happy we make a deep playoff run. We hoist the trophy again. And we're all happy about it. But... If you go into the trade deadline assuming that none of those guys are coming back, and if you can even assume that Ozzie's not coming back either, that's how you get that Dodger-level depth. And you say, look, Orlando Arcea, he's been fine over at second base right now. I've actually seen him make some defensive plays that I'm not positive even Ozzy makes, partially related to the arm, not so much for the range. But he's a fine fill-in. But if you're able to get somebody better than him, you absolutely do it. If it's somebody that you're not going to platoon Ozzie when he comes back, so maybe you get somebody like... The, the name that keeps I keep coming back to is Whit Merrifield. Not so much because he's an outstanding second baseman, but because he's multi-position. He's the type of guy that you can play all over the field. Not to mention, Kansas City still going nowhere. They should have traded Merrifield years ago. I know he's not having the best year, but neither was Jorge Soler last year. Neither was Eddie Rosario last year. Sometimes, change of scenery unless you're Sean Newcomb, will really do you good. Now, what's going to happen is that some of these fringe guys that we really, really like, like, I don't know about you guys, I love Jackson Stevens. I know that he had the really uh, rough outing last night. Obviously love Guillermo Haradia, and I think that it would be a gut punch to this clubhouse to take him away. But offensively, Haradia does not add much. You know, he's got the swords, and the, the things that he has done for this organization, you cannot measure in fan graphs. You know, you go look at his... That guy had a 20-win season last year as far as I'm concerned because he, as much as anybody other than Jock Peterson, kept the mood light and he kept everybody just going. But if you can replace him with a guy like Austin Meadows, just from a roster perspective, not like a role perspective, but you can get somebody that's going to be a big bat that you... Well, look, when Heredia comes up, we're like you're kind of just giving him more rope than he deserves because of the swords and because he's always yammering on in the dugout and he looks like he's having the best time guillermo heredia love him as i do he's not dodger level depth you start accumulating these guys and so the worst case scenario is that you have too many good players like oh no we have adam duval and eddie rosario who would be starting all the time for most teams in a non-platoon situation you know, we got both these guys, we have to platoon them. And now we got Harris and now we've got Acuna. The outfield seems full, but yeah, we got, you know, let's say that we go out and we get Austin Meadows at the deadline. I know that's a guy that that Dylan is a huge fan of. So, you know, you have to rotate, but it keeps guys fresh, you know, and especially with, we've been lucky enough to see that Acuna has done really well, really well, uh, recently, especially he's ahead of schedule in terms of uh, the rehab from the injury. He's playing right field basically every day now. So, We can't guarantee that that's going to continue well into the season. You get that Dodger-level depth. You get another starter. You get another outfielder. You get another second baseman who we'll see how Ozzy does. Coming back from a broken foot is hard. That's a guy who relies on his feet a lot, especially for his range and his speed. His legs are very, very tiny. So the feet hit the ground a lot when he's running. So... I just want to see a deeper team than we have right now. And the team is fine right now. I don't even—I don't want it to sound like I'm criticizing the team. I just want to get to the point where you go into a series against the Dodgers and you're not saying, oh, I'm kind of scared of them because who who they are. I want the narrative to flip and every single team to go, the last team I would ever want to face right now is the Atlanta Braves. And honestly, when I look up and down this roster, I see a bunch of guys who have been there before who maybe the lights were too bright for them in 2018 or maybe in 2019. But they finally got the Atlanta monkey off of their back in terms of, you know, they won the playoff series and then they made it to the NLCS. And then last year, they made it through a ton of adversity in season. And then they just got on a roll in the playoffs. These guys have been there. They have blown leads. They have uh, come back from being down. They have had a lot of different moments where they had to really kind of find out who they are. So the biggest asset, the 22 Uh, 2022 Braves have in my eyes is their experience because they know they're still in it Mets lost today to the Astros so they're five back they can pull within four and a half if they win today and Mets are off tomorrow so if the Braves are able to win the next two games then they're within four and like I just pointed out we got a lot of games coming up against the Mets so there is no part of me that thinks this division is out of reach and let's say that it is the Braves can still get in the wild card Thank you to the new collective bargaining agreement. There's a third wildcard slot. And if the season started, excuse me, if the playoffs started tomorrow, the Braves would face the Los Angeles Dodgers. So this is where it gets really, really interesting. Things are not going to get any easier for the rest of the season. Um, Braves got a long run ahead. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to act like this is just going to be some gimme or that what they're going to do with the trade deadline is going to be able to carry them uh, to the fifth straight division crown. Because I think that the Mets, while their farm system is uh, not exactly the most amazing thing in the world, one thing that they will be very willing to do is take on money. Steve Cohen has the ability to take on a lot of money, and he will. So just because the Braves go ham at the trade deadline, which I fully expect them to be supplementing, it's not like the Mets won't be doing that too. So they need to just focus on themselves, play the best baseball that they can, and just rely on their experience, rely on the fact that they know how to do it, they've been there before, and... This team, just like last year, they're very well architected to make a deep playoff run. You get a slightly deeper bench, and you're looking at Freed ride as a 1-2, and whether it's We're going to find out whether Charlie Morton's back. We're going to find out whether Ian Anderson is able to continue to step forward. Spencer Strider will not be starting in the playoffs in a traditional role because he's honestly about halfway to an innings limit, not an innings limit, but to a career high in innings. So you cross your fingers. You hope Soroka's back. You can have Strider in the bullpen as a playoff guy, a two, three inning just fireballer to mow some guys down. So... I think this team is still very well architected to make another deep playoff run. But as things stand now, there is so much time left before between now and the end of the season that they just need to go back about their business. And I think that everything will work out fine. Just taking a quick scan over the, uh, the show sheet that I made for today. And, uh, oh, I'll be damned. I covered everything. So, and besides, the Braves game is starting in 18 minutes, and I think I'm going to go watch it. You should do the same thing. So, thanks everybody for uh, for tuning back in. I know it's kind of weird with Dylan not being here. Trust me, nobody feels the weirdness uh, more than I do. I wish he was here. Uh, I am going to work on getting him on the show uh, one of these days. He's kind of a big shot now, so I hope he still has time for me. Uh We will try and have a special guest for next week. It's somebody that will need no introduction, especially in these parts. It's actually anywhere he goes, he needs no introduction, uh, but especially around here. Keep the faith, guys. I know that we're still a couple games back from the Mets, but things have started to turn around. Things are looking a lot better for right now, knock on wood. But uh, we will get a really good gauge for who this team is over the next couple of games. And uh, just hang in there. Try and enjoy it. You know, we got the World Series title, and I don't know about you, but for the early part of the season anyway, when things would start to kind of go sour and not just go the way I wanted to, I would just kind of shrug my shoulders and say, man, I'm really glad we won the World Series last year because this <laughs> this Tuesday night game in April just really doesn't matter. So uh, there's a lot of comfort in, uh, in having gotten that first title and gotten off of the schneid. And now we can just turn to hopefully being the first team to repeat in uh, Major League Baseball in 20 years. So... I'll do my best to get back in front of the microphone next week. I'm not even going to put it back in the studio closet. I'm going to leave it right here on the desk. So whether it is six days, eight days, 441 days, I will see you soon right here on the Platinum Sombrero. Thanks. Bye.